um, get a look at some scriptures that, and the story in the Bible to do with the um, throne of David and the connection with the uh, British throne. So we're talking about the throne of David, Charles III crowned on the stone of destiny. There's a lot of interest at the moment on the British throne and the death of Queen Elizabeth and, the, and then the coming of Charles as, the, as King of England. And what we're looking at today is the mention of, the, uh, of all this in the Bible and that it's not just by chance. A lot of people around the world, millions of people watching uh, a lot of things. What, one of the great things, if you remember, was the scripture reading. Whenever they had a scripture reading, it was, first of all, it was through the King James, which I was so thrilled about, not some modern translation. And nearly all the scriptures that were chosen by the Queen herself before she died were all about Jesus Christ and the second coming and so on. So, um, so we're just going to have a look at the promises particularly from God to this man David and how that he would set up a throne that would go right through to this day. And that's connection there is what we're interested in. Next slide. Okay, so it all starts with this guy called Abraham, his son Isaac and Jacob. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God heard their groaning, this is later on, with the time of the Exodus, remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these three are mentioned heaps of times as the basis of the people of the Old Testament. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, but he was afraid to look upon God. And that was, of course, when he stopped at the burning bush. So this is this story unfold from these original three. Next slide. So I'm going to read a bit of scripture. Um, and Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went towards Haran when he was going up to find a wife. And he alighted upon a certain place and he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of the place and he put them for his pillow. I can't think of a worse pillow myself. And lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, no, he mostly had nightmares. No, wait a minute, he didn't. He dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angel of the Lord, uh, the angels of God, ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood upon it and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou lies. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed, thy children. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. That's when you trace through the dispersion of these people later on, it went in that particular order. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it wasn't going to just stay in the land of Palestine, but one day it would spread out over the whole planet. Next slide. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put for his pillow, and he set it up for a pillar. Remember the word pillow here? And the word pillar, because it comes up a lot. And he poured all upon the top of it. He anointed it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow and saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He committed a, a promise back to God, if you will bless me 
I mean, you bless my whole undertakers, then I'll give back a tenth. Next slide. So Jacob came to Luz, which is, this is uh, 20 years later. He was 70 the first time. He's now 90. And he's on his way back with his family, all his children, wives, and so on. And uh, I'll read again. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. And he and all the people were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because El means name of God, because the house of God. There God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, uh, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called that name. And God appeared unto Jacob again, and when he, uh, and went, when he came out of Paladaram and blessed him, and God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob, which means supplanter. Thy name shall be called, shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel, which means ruling with God, shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Next slide. I'll just keep reading, quite a bit of reading. So we're jumping to Genesis 35. And God said unto him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy line. So there's a big prophecy there to Jacob, that one day he's going to be a, a company of nations would be associated with his name. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar, so here it is again, in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and he poured drink offering thereon, and he poured oil on it. So he, he anointed twice the second time, so overall it was anointed three times, two or three witnesses, you might say. And Jacob called the name of the place where he got baked in Bethel. So uh, kings, like King Saul, King David, many other kings. Next slide. The great promise to Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, and all of this really goes through the tribe of Judah. Uh, thou art uh, he whom thy brethren shall praise, these other 11 brothers. And thy, thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies, and thy father's children shall bow down to thee, meaning it would be royalty. Judah is the lion's whelp. And we know when we looked at all that paraphernalia over the last few weeks, how often there was the rampant lions and lions everywhere, crowned with lions, so totally connected to what we're reading about here. Judah is the lion's whelp, and from the prey my son thou had gone up, and he stooped down, and he couched as a lion, as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. We're going to look a bit later, and we've already seen it over the last few weeks. The, 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 the scepter is the, the number one thing of royalty, really. We have crowns, and we have the orb, and we have all of it. The number one thing, proof of royalty, is the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. That is a reference to Jesus Christ. And everything we're talking about today, we're connecting it to Jesus Christ. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him, unto Jesus, shall the gathering of the people be. Next slide. As you put, right, so we're going to jump ahead now to the, it's a bit of a descriptive story, this, but anyhow, we need to read it out because Judah uh, had uh, other children and a wife and so on, and she died, and anyhow, he ended up, uh, having an affair, we would say today, with his uh, daughter-in-law, Tamar. And she had already been married to two of his sons, and they had died. 
and there was a third son, and the right would be that she would be given to the third son, but Judah said, no, he might die as well. So he, in a sense, broke the rule of the Old Testament, and uh, and Tamar suddenly realized that she wasn't, uh, to them it was a big deal, and uh, so she ended up doing what she did here. She played the harlot, and she put her widow's garments off from her, from the death of her, her two husbands, you might say, and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat it in the open place, which is, by the way, to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah, that's the third son of Judah, was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. And when Judah saw he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face, and he turned in unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, that I'll come unto thee. For he knew not that it was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me? that thou mayest come in unto me. Next slide. And he said, I'll send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Will thou give me a pledge? In other words, that you'll do that till, till thou send it. And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet ring, we would say, thy bracelet and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it to her and she came in unto her and she conceived by him. She arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put all the garment off her widowhood. Now, particularly connect these three things, the signet, the bracelets, and the staff. And where part of the crown jewel is the signet river ring, and there's a pair of bracelets. And as you can see, the queen there sitting with a scepter in one hand and in the other hand is a staff. So there's a connection here uh, with, the, with the British royalty. Next slide. Tamar then... Uh, was to be burnt, according to Judah, who was a total hypocrite. And it came to pass about three months after that he was told Judah, it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot, and and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, let her be burnt. And when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man who these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, who these, whose are these, the signet, the bracelets, and the staff. And Ju he acknowledged they were his. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son. Next slide. So this is all part of the story, believe it or not. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass that when she travailed, that one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. But it came to pass as he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out first. And she said, How hast thou broken forth, and uh, this breached me upon thee? Therefore his name was called Phares, which means breach. And afterwards it came out his brother, and that he and that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zara. Next slide. So, just running through that briefly, Phares, the father of David and Jesse. So, on the line of Phares, we go right through to King David, eventually through to Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus. The sons of Judah, and goes through a few, I won't read all that, and uh, down here in verse 4, and Tamar's daughter-in-law bore him Phares and Zara. Next slide. We do get a mention of one of the descendants of Zara and the amazing story of the of the 
the Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold in that story when uh, Joshua was trying to take the city of Ai and there was um, evil in the camp because he'd done that. Um, and just there in verse uh, 6 it says, And the sons of Zerah, Zerah, spelled differently, the same guy, but three, uh, five sons, Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Calcol, and Dara, five of them all, and the sons of Kami, Acre, the, trouble, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the thing accursed. Verse 7, And the children of Israel committed trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, who was actually Achar there, the son of Kami, the son of Zabdul, Zimri, the son of Zarah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. So there is some sort of mention, not a lot of mention of Zarah and his descendants, but a lot of mentions on Pharaoh. Let's go next slide. So this story we're telling today is how that, that throne, that royalty in the Middle East eventually got through to Britain. It's quite a big story, and I can't cover it all today. One of the basic stories is that the descendants of Zara ended up going through to Ireland in particular, and the royal line, the high kings of Ireland, well before, uh, or right back when the children of Israel were going into the promised land and so on. Um, I'll read a little bit of a breakdown here, as somebody put it in words. The Davidic throne planted in Ireland, as will be brought out below, this royal line developed when Danite and Judah Zarahite refugees settled parts of ancient Greece prior to Israel's enslavement while in Egypt. These Miletian line eventually made its way to Ireland. Jeremiah's mission, we'll talk a bit about that later, was to join the Davidic throne of the Irish throne through the marriage of Tifi, Zedekiah's daughter, to an heir of the Miletian line and a prince named Yochid. This is how Jeremiah was to plant a tender one. Another scripture I haven't got written down here in what would be eventually become the high mountain, the Israelite birthright kingdom of Great Britain. Now, there's a lot in that, but just to briefly tell you, you, you could spend an hour just talking about that. The, the thought is that the descendants of Zara were connected to the high kings of Ireland and particularly uh, uh, to the uh, hill, hill of Tara there. And there's another stone there which they also link to connect to what we were reading before. But I'll just keep going. Next slide. So there's a bit of a breakdown somebody drew up with from the house of Judah. One through Zara on the left, came through the Cretan kings and the Miletian kings, and then the house of Zara and David, King David, Solomon, right through to Jesus Christ. So these two lines of Judah is what brings it all together. And particularly, we're going to talk about the stone of destiny in a minute, and through to the kings of Ireland, the kings of Scotland, and eventually the kings of England. So um, I'll maybe just leave that. I've said enough on that. Next slide. We won't read all that. So we're going to run out of time today. Now, we'll talk about David in particular, on the off of the line of, uh, of Fares, and we know that he was this amazing person of great courage and great faith. And next slide. So we're going to read quite a few promises God made to this lad who was anointed there by uh, the prophet Samuel in the midst of his brethren. I made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. So 
Whenever we read these promises by God, somewhere on planet Earth, God has kept that promise because he never breaks a promise. And then down in verse 20 of the same chapter, I have found David my servant, uh, with my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat, I will beat down his foes before his face, and plague them that hate him, starting with Goliath, what did say? But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Next slide. His seed also will I make to endure forever. So again, it must be somewhere. And his throne is the days of heaven, not to pass away. If his children forsake him, well, a lot of people talk about that. So what, were they righteous? Are they saved? Because nothing to do with that. A lot of his descendants, and in the Bible it was the case, were not good. And maybe we cover even right through to the Scottish kings and the British throne, some of them not good. Nothing to do with good or bad. It's the promise he made to David that stands. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgment, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripe. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor after the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn in my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, far as I know, the sun's still out there. It shall be established as the moon. Tonight, the moon will be there. And as the faithful witness in heaven, it says the word selah, which means top, stop and reflect on this. Think about it. Next slide. So in the Bible, we have one little example of one of the descendants of King David when the, this horrible grandmother from hell murdered all her grandchildren but missed one. And he was of the royal line of uh, David and the high priest had hidden little Joash. And one day uh, he brought him out when he was only eight years old. And this is how it's worded in the Bible. This is um, Athaliah's comment on this wicked queen, the only queen in the list of kings. When she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manner was. One thing you will all remember over the last few weeks is the incredible rituals and all the things that have been handed down from century to century from, and so on, and everything, with the, all the parts of the uh, royal uh, paraphernalia and the crown jewels and all of that. So and it says, as the manor was. And that's what we saw, as the manor was. And the princess and the trumpeters by the king and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Athaliah read her clothes and cried treason, treason. No, actually, she was the one that had committed treason. Next slide. So um, the Zedekiah of the line of Pharez, the daughters survived. What we do know is that um, eventually the, all the guys got killed right down to Zedekiah. The last thing he saw, because he was a wicked king, is one example of one. And uh, he had, the last thing he saw was his sons, the princes, being slaughtered by Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and then what we do know is the daughters survived, and the Bible mentions it twice. I wonder why it would make a point of that. And obviously, there is a connection there. And Ishmael carried away captive all the residue of the people that was in Nisbah, 
even the king's daughters. I'll just jump down to the next verse. Even men and women and children and the king's daughters, Zedekiah's daughters, and every person that Nebuchadnezzar and the captain of the guard had left with Gedaliah the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Barak the son of Nero. What we do, do here is connect the, um, the daughters of Zedekiah with, with Jeremiah and the legend of him taking these daughters to Ireland. And we're going to talk there a bit about the throne, as you see a picture there of the throne with the stone of destiny, particularly following the line of the stone. Next verse, look at the slide. So here's an amazing passage to do with um, this whole story of the, the daughters of the king eventually coming through and marrying into the royal line of Ireland and taken there by Jeremiah. We know he, they travelled with Jeremiah. Um, anyway, I'll read what it says. I speak of these things which I have made touching the king. Thou art parent of the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of thy kingdom is a right or righteous scepter. Thou lovest righteousness, thou hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, and all thy garments shall smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. Next slide. The king's daughters were among the honourable women, which we were just reading about elsewhere. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of a fur. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and climb on here. And then it says, Forget also thine own people. So her father had been taken captive, all the brothers had been killed, and they're moving into another situation. You need to forget that part. So shall thy, the king greatly desire thee. So what we believe here, and legend, and it is by legend, a lot of that history is legend for anybody to go back there. So I sort of say legend's wrong. Legend, according to Pastor Warren, was a, a true story that has mostly changed the bits down through history, but it did happen. That's what legend is as opposed to fable. Um, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, read that, verse 11, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy lord, and the worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be with the given. Now, Tyre came into it with the whole belief is that Jeremiah took the daughters of Zedekiah and what we call the stone of destiny, Jacob's pillar, the one he anointed, with the, the daughters through to Ireland. And... Uh, there's a lot of legend. The Scottish Scots believe that the the, the uh, Declaration of Arbroath in 1320 described that happening through the Mediterranean Sea, and it was the shipping people, known as the Tyranians, who did all the um, the carting around. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favour. Next slide. The door, the king's daughters, is also glorious within. Her clothing is wrought of gold. She shall be brought into the king in raiment of needlework, and the virgins, her companions, the followers shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought, they shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children. So forget again what he said. Instead of that family you had back there, it'll be your descendants that you'll be concentrating on. Whom thou make, thou mayest make princes in all the earth right through, we believe, to Prince Charles. That's what we're connecting up here today. 
the princes will descend from this, this union. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations, off in all legend again, named Teotifi, one of the daughters of Zedekiah. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Next slide. So there's old um, Jeremiah suffering at the hands of the last wicked king and uh, being uh, torn down, thrown into a pit and so on. But the Lord preserved Jeremiah and saved him. And the guy that pulled him out is God, Ebed-Melech the eunuch, and Barak his scribe, and the king's daughters all survived. There's a lot more to the story that I can tell here. And that one day, you can't go to Palestine and see the tomb of Jeremiah. It's not there. You can't go to Egypt and see it there. The legend is he's buried in Ireland where he died. And uh, even the Jewish people believe that. And a lot of Jewish people go to Ireland, to one particular place where they believe he was buried in Devonish Ireland because they believe that's where he was buried as well. Next slide. So that's, uh, without going through all of this, the basic story is that we believe eventually that the tribes of Israel immigrated across Europe, through the Mediterranean Sea, across west across Europe, and particularly came into the British Isles. And there's a lot more to that, but that's all I'm going to say on it today, because I want to stick to the throne part of the story. Next slide. So there was a pamphlet that was produced uh, a long time ago in the reign of uh, King George V, who believed, by the way, everything that I'm talking about today, and um, has the stone in the, in the coronation chair. We'll talk about that a bit more. And on the right of this pamphlet, which was printed, you can see it cost two pennies, tuppence, down the bottom there. It's a bit hard to see, but there's the stone of destiny being carried onto a Phoenician ship with a pole through and people carrying it onto the boat. So he believed it enough to sanction the preparation of this pamphlet. Next slide. So one of the amazing coins that King George V struck and Queen Elizabeth II also had the same coin resurrected or medal is this picture of the, um, of the stone coming from the Middle East. What you actually got there is the stairway of the of the angels on the right. Um, you have the two angels, the witnesses from the book of Revelation. You have the wind coming in from behind them and driving the ship from east to west. How do we know it's from east? Because you've got the sun rising underneath the mouth of the trumpets. You've got the, the sun coming up there. It's interesting that uh, Zara's name means the rising light or the rise, rising sun. And then we have the crown, we have the royalty right in the middle of the ship there. And then on the, on, the, uh, on the sail, you've got all the British coat of arms. On the far left, you've got the half of David, you've got all the rampant lions and so on. So on this amazing coin, you see down the one, it's 1911. This was King George V. He had this, who designed it, I don't know, but it is this whole story that we're telling today. Next slide. So the weeping prophet, over my head were waters, chapter 9 of Jeremiah, and mine eyes as a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had a, oh, I'll say it again. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging, place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers and, and treacherous and so on. They, uh, it goes on to describe how bad they are. So, Jeremiah had this wish. I want to go away from here. I want to go into a wilderness. Now, this particular next slide, this word wilderness, 
uh, when you look at that next slide, sorry. And this is what it says in the concordance. It means a pasture. When we think of all of us, we think of the desert area. It means a pasture where the cattle are driven. Just remember that. Place where pasture is. Next slide. Now, this is the number one. Quite a few spots in Ireland which believe they have the burial site of Jeremiah. But the number one one, one we visited, we visited some of the others as well, is this island in Northern Ireland called Devonish Island. And it's interesting. Guess what's there? Cattle. Woman critically injured by cow on Devonish Island. Next slide. And when we went there, Ellen found this little sign there, uh, caution, livestock. So it's almost like he got his wish. He got his wilderness. He got his, uh, his uh, place where oxen are. And so on Devonish Island is owned by so-and-so. And uh, it means the island of the oxen. Next slide. When we were there, we were on a, on a boat going out to the island. And Helen heard a lady talk about it and said how that the legend was Jeremiah was built there, uh, buried there. And sure enough, we talked to the, the guy in charge of the boat and he said, yes, we've heard that. And he was quite excited about it. Anyhow, I better keep going. So I'm rushing this, but it's the only way to get through it. And then the uh, story there of uh, the end of the uh, Zedekiah and what would happen from, from there on. Thou profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem um, and take off the crown, and this shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. So it's not going to be the same. It's going to be changed. The king's, the high king is going to be removed. Another king is going to be raised up, which we believe is the descendant of uh, Zara in Northern Ireland. So he, in this great verse, in verse 27, I'll put in, what we believe it, it stands for, I will overturn Palestine to Ireland, 585 BC with Jeremiah the prophet. He will overturn again Ireland to Scotland, 1,000 years later in 500 AD. Overturn again Scotland to England in 1296. It is it, that is the stone of destiny, and it shall be no more. It will, uh, it will not overturn or move again until he come, whose right it is, Jesus Christ, we believe the Son of God, and that God will give it to him. The amazing overturn, overturn, overturn. Next slide. So we've got a lot of charts on this one of the charts we've done. I'm certainly not going to try and explain it, but you just look up the top there. Far is Judah, the line right through there, Zara Judah. That's what we're tracing here today. You can see all this on another occasion. Helen's got them all. Next slide. So we particularly follow, remember the the uh, the, the uh, red uh, uh, cord put around the hand there, and we know that it identifies with particularly Ulster in Northern Ireland, the red hand. Next uh, slide. And Ireland, Northern Ireland being part of the whole story of Great Britain. Next slide. So there's a bit of a diagram. I will overturn, overturn uh, to Ireland, 583 BC, to Scotland, as I said, approximately 5,000 years later, and then down to England in 1296. Next slide. And just the, we have actually visited a little island off to the coast of Scotland, Iona Island, and that is where the stone came, to Scotland. Next slide. And particularly, it's interesting how they try to say that the stone of destiny was, was taken, made in, in uh, Scotland, but the Scots don't believe that. They believe this story of this guy called Kenneth McAlpin in, in 841, about 350 years after it arrived, 
on Iona that he went down and he took the stone and he took it to Persia, to Skoon Palace, where it sat there for another 400 years until it was stolen by the King of England. So right in the middle of that picture there, you've got Kenneth McAlpin, but I particularly want to point over on the far left-hand side, there's a King Duncan. Just notice that. King Duncan, who I think unfortunately was murdered by Macbeth. Next slide. And there's all the Scottish kings. We won't try and look at all that. Next slide. Okay, here's another thing that was drawn up uh, in 1924 on the importance of the Stone of Destiny, on which the Scottish kings was crowned from the time of memorial down to John Balliol, who was regarded as the palladium, which means the safety and security of Scotland, Scottish independence, and his character is supposed to have been vindicated when James the sixth of Scotland became James the first of England in 1603. A long but quite mythical history attaches to the block of reddish uh, sandstone from central Scotland. So it's a bit of a mix here. One minute they're saying it was there, next minute they're saying it came from the Middle East. It goes on to say, and I don't think this is not a religious thing. This is a royal commission. And it says in the middle of the royal commission, it is traditionally identified that Jacob's pillow at Bethel, afterwards the Laophael of Ireland, and the Stone of Destiny on the Sacred Hill of Tara in Ireland, historically it is recorded as being used for the enthronement of Macbeth's so and so forth. I want to finish it off by saying on the 24th of December 1950, the stone was stolen by Scottish nationalists and taken to our brother. And it's another great story. There's a whole film on it, actually, but... The Scots realised how valuable it was. Next slide. So there's the stone in the, in the throne chair. Beneath the chair at west end of a confessor's chapel rests the famous stone of Scone, Scone, I think it's supposed to be pronounced, which Edward I captured on Scot in Scotland. They've got the wrong date there. I can't believe it got the wrong year. But it was actually 90, uh, 1296. Legend traces the history of the stone back to used by Jacob as a pillow at Bethel. By the way, the total value of this stone is that. If it was just quarried in Scotland, it's of great, no, no great value. But if it's the stone of, of from Bethel, that became, makes it invaluable. And a lot of people don't realise that. Certainly, the quotes Genesis 28, certainly the Scottish kings were crowned on this stone. It was beneath the throne. Look, monarch's crown at Westminster since the coronation of Edward II. Now, down the bottom, again, their wording amazes me. Underneath it, I can read it there, but I've enlarged it on the left there. The British coronation chair around Jacob's stone, that's what they call it. So that's a fact, which the Bible refers to as the throne of God, that is, set up by God. So there's a, a royal commission, what it thinks about that funny old stone in that beaten-up old throne chair. Next slide. Here. By the way, if you go to Schooling Palace, you can sit on the stone, but it's actually not the real one. So that's not uh, Queen Helen there. That's just uh, Helen sitting on the one in Schooling Palace. Next slide. Now, in England, they've got their own stone. And Edward, uh, uh, James, uh, Edward I, I mean, had already had that stone. Been there when he was king in 1296. As, and you can see it in the, the suburb of Kingston in London. There it is. We visited it, we took a picture of it, and it had all these uh, other kings, but he wanted the other one. 
So this, they would never, ever put the scone of destiny out in display like this. Come and take it. So there it is. You can go out and weather everything. But by the way, they knew that a stone was important. And they crowned their king's next to a stone in this particular case. Next slide. So there's Edward I stealing. We've got different pictures of how he took it away. And carried, uh, uh, carried away. Next slide. That's the one you see in, in uh, Edinburgh Castle. Another picture of carrying away this stone. Next slide. Interesting facts about this stone. Uh, and I say there, is this connection by chance or by design? You decide. On the left-hand side, a lot of us know that part, that Jesus in Greek adds up to 888. It's amazing the stone also adds up to 888. Its weight is 336 English pounds. There are 14 pounds of the stone. 112 pounds equals 100 weight, 336 pounds, which it weighs, equals 300 weight, or because uh, there's eight stones in the 100 weight, or three eights. Amazing, 888. And look at all the different names of this stone. The Stone of Schoon, the Bethel Stone, Jacob's Pillar, Jacob's Pillow, Jacob's Stone, the Laophile, and the one more known as the Stone of Destiny. Next slide. So these were the young nationalists who stole it, the great story, and they gave it back later. Next slide. And that's in picking up the stone. And you think they were carrying a body. No, they're just carrying an old stone. Next slide. So Queen Elizabeth was crowned on that stone. So was James the Sixth of Scotland. And that's when the royal line came through, through Jane. Next slide. In uh, 1996, they allowed the stone to go back to Scotland exactly 700 years after it was stolen, but on the understanding that maybe next year when Charles is crowned, they have to release the stone that will come back into the coronation chair. Um, I did wonder if the Scots won't release it, if England and Scotland might not go to war again. I don't know. Next slide. But they said they'll release it. And there's a newspaper article back there when the Stone of Destiny came home. Next slide. There, you can go, go to Edinburgh Castle. It's in a glass case, and you can look at it there. Next slide. Later on, of course, there's some thought that it'll go back to the actual stone palace. I'll keep going. Next slide. So Victoria was uh, crowned on that throne, and uh, and then later on, King George the Sixth up there on the right, and then Queen Elizabeth all sitting on this stone. To them, it is beyond value. When the young guys stole it, the Scottish nationalists stole it, uh, King George VI became quite ill because he believed that it was the end of the royal line. If they've lost the stone, they've no longer got the right to rule as they do. That's how much value he put it on. When the Scottish lads in Scotland heard that, they weren't anti the throne. They released it back so it could be used again. Next slide. So there it is again in the glass cage. When you walk past it, which we've done it, two or three times. I said to Ellen, we must not do that again. We're starting to worship it. We're just walking past it. Everybody looks at all the crowns and the scepters. Nobody looks at the old rock. They don't realise that it's far more valuable than all the others put together. Next slide. So there's the line from Elizabeth and Philip right through and down on the left-hand side there, you've got Charles and William and then King George, and that's the royal line. Next slide. So here's an interesting quote. When Queen Elizabeth was listening to a sermon by that guy there, uh, Dean uh, Frederick Farrar, the Dean of uh, 
Archdeacon, I mean, of Westminster, um, she said, Dean Farrar, I should like to be living when Jesus comes so that I could lay the crown of England at his feet. She didn't, she wasn't able to do that. I'm sure Elizabeth would have turned. Next slide. So, talking about Queen Elizabeth, it was an amazing couple of weeks. I think we all pretty well glued to our television, went on for hours and hours and hours, just like I'm doing. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is the right scepter. In Hebrews chapter 1 of all chapters, well, under the sun he saith, Jesus that is, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The royal family issues a rare response to a rumour that Queen Elizabeth plans to retire at 95. Through a spokesperson for Prince Charles, the Queen reaffirmed she had no intention of stepping down. We know that she never did. Run that again, the quote from Isaiah 49, until Shiloh come. Next slide. <clears throat> I nearly finished, by the way. Then, uh, then shall the prophecy of Jerusalem that really applied to London as well. The oldest gate had this quote there. Um, there shall there enter into the gates of the city, Jerusalem, maybe London, kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. Next slide. I just want to finish off with a lot of shots that we've all seen over the last few weeks, but I'm particularly, as you see there, I'm trying to, not try, I believe I am, connecting it to the Bible, connecting it to great promises from God. God gave to David and so on, connecting it through to Jesus Christ, the second coming of the Lord. It's all connected. I mean, all the scriptures that were read were fantastic scriptures about the return of Jesus, all mainly about Jesus Christ. What I did like, Mary was not mentioned. Not that anything wrong with Mary, but the thought of worshipping Mary never got a mention. With Jesus Christ, all the great promises, which Queen Elizabeth herself chose. Now, where her standing is with God, who knows? But she certainly did uh, love the thought of Jesus. We can't deny that. And um, she certainly has, as we all now know, for us who are part of the Commonwealth, had an amazing leader that was not corrupt. There's so many corrupt leaders in our world today. And it amazes me we want to get away from a system that really works and have a system like they've got in America. Electing a president. God help. Anyhow, forget that, John. Um, so I'm looking at, the, just particularly picked this out right at the end, just before she was buried. The coffin is draped with the lions, as we read in the Bible of Judah, and the harp of David, that all there, connecting it to the story that we're talking about today. Next slide. And all the different uh, things there, the scepter, the, the crown, and the orb representing Christianity over the whole planet. Next slide. The, the, the dedication right at the end. Next slide. Charles, of course, uh, the, the, the royal crest there, the last thing he did there. Next slide. Again, what only particularly grabbed these shots, these all just we took off the TV, by the way, um, was the value, the one thing you get from it is the value, and uh, he examines it very closely to make sure that it is as it should be. Next slide. The all, I called that interesting, the altar of God. I thought it was a good name, but anyhow, there it is. Next slide. I'm going back to the Anglican church, by the way. I got saved out of that. 
But um, the royal scepter, next slide. Again, he examines it closely to make sure that it is what it is. Next slide. Hands it out onto these guys, and they then eventually goes up onto the altar. Next slide. Again, the crown. Next slide, sorry. Again, placed on the altar there. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. So right at the end, we know the piper walks out. Very, very moving, wasn't it, when he goes off into the distance. And the coat of arms up there, which is a massive Bible stuff. The lion and the unicorn. I haven't even touched on that. In Numbers chapter 23 and 24, talks about Israel being identified with the lion and the unicorn. The British coat of arms is all Bible stuff. Next slide. And then he disappeared. Next slide. And then we have Charles. Now, not really, I don't even want to come here today to glorify Elizabeth or Charles. I'm just mainly want to glorify God and his promises that he never broke and that he kept. And that I believe you and I here today benefit by being part of the British Commonwealth. And um, whether he's a good king or a bad king, I don't know. All I know so far, he's done pretty good, I think. I don't say he's in the mold of his mother. That'd be a very hard act to follow. But it's, there it is. And the main thing is, the main point I want to leave with you today is God keeps his promise. If he keeps his promise to do with King David and the royal line of David, he keeps his promise on all the other things. Divine healing, the seeming of the Holy Spirit, it's all there. Next slide. And that, of course, is when she then got lowered into the grave. Next slide. couple of last slides. So the main point I'm making today is about the story of this stone of destiny. Now and again, I've had people say, I don't believe in that. I say, it's not a matter of belief. The stone is there. Whether you believe it or not is irrelevant. And the importance that is placed upon it is there. And that doesn't go away. And that it is the most valuable of all things in Britain is there. You can't deny that. And all we know is that a funny old stone is put in this funny old throne, which is over 700 years old, and the monarch would not want to be crowned anywhere. So next year, we'll see some more ritual, which that part doesn't bother me. It's that, um, that it's Bible-connected is what I'm thinking about, and that they do it according to the Word of God. So the descendant of King David seated on the throne of David until Shiloh come. Whether he'll be there until Shiloh come, the throne will continue there. And one last slide. And, oh no, sorry. And the scripture before one last slide. So in, in the Matthew chapter 1, the book of, gener uh, book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judah, or Judah, Judas or Judah, and his brethren. And Judah begat Phares and Zar. We read all about that. And then Phares, and then we go down the line of Phares in that particular verse or chapter. And then uh, later on in the book of Luke, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God under the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he shall be great. And shall be called, this, this is from the, from the angel Gabriel, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. It's all there in the Bible. 
the throne is still there to be given. Next slide. And that is the connection, and that's the verse we just read, and the giving the throne of his father. So Jesus is coming back one day connected to this throne. And all the people said, 